0: You are listening to a sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at malvanechurchcom slash sermons. Good morning. If you'd be turning to John chapter 3, John 3, our study there continues as we take the guided tour of faith through the gospel of John. We've been a bit delayed on our tour. Sometimes you go on a tour and it doesn't go as quickly as you plan. As we've had some things with COVID intervene and then recovery and the like. And we're hoping to get back to the tour uh, through John and uh, and find the reason why he would uh, guide us to belief and the reasons for believing. Last time we looked at John 3.16, the most famous uh, verse in The New Testament, I think, likely so, at least uh, probably the only verse a lot of people could find if you ask them for chapter and verse for anything, this would be the chapter and verse they would know. And we're going to be reading from there uh, to the other uh, things that follow and the direct discussion uh, and explanation of them. So what we have are the things explaining some of the concepts in John 3 Now, as we made note as we studied that last time uh, in our study of John, uh, you might have a red-letter edition that has these words in red, or you might not. The red-letter guys aren't sure where to stop the red letters, because we're not completely sure if these words are uh, spoken by Jesus to Nicodemus that night that Nicodemus came to visit him in that garden, or if they are the words of our faithful guide, uh, our faithful interpreter of the things of jesus's life in the gospel so whether these are john's words or jesus's we don't know and so that's why it might be read in some editions and and black in others but in either case we have the inspired words here explaining to us the gospel and so we had john three sixteen, for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now the explanation of those things and the broadening of the concepts that are introduced there from verse 17. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. He who believes in him is not judged. He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. This is the judgment, that the light is coming to the world, and men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, for fear his deeds will be exposed. But he who practices the truth comes to the light, so that his deeds may be manifested as having been wrought in God. And so we find here a section on salvation and explicitly telling us that Jesus did not come to judge, but that Jesus came to save. We're going to examine in our lesson this morning, this section in two parts, a part on salvation or judgment, and then the part on light or dark. And if you're one of those who watches the clock and says, okay, he's going to talk about four things and how long has this been? We're going to talk a lot more about the first part than the second. And so uh, we'll have these two headings uh, that we'll consider this under. But the much longer one will be the first one on salvation or judgment. And so we read there again uh, from verse uh, 16 that God sent his son, his only begotten son. So that special, unique son, the monogenos, Jesus that the believer can have eternal life. And verse 17, For God did not send the Son to the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved. What we find is is all the world could have been so easily condemned. That's why it was that God in His great love sent the Son. What we have here is the love of God. What does it tell us in John? In John's epistle, God is love. But another thing that we know God is, and it's one that we have a couple of times in Isaiah and Revelation, we have a quality of God lifted to the superlative by the repetition of it three times. God is holy, holy, holy. So we have a holy, holy, holy God who has to deal with sin. His holiness says that sin must be dealt with. We all feel in our own uh, heart, without much training about it, we feel that there must be some judgment in the world. What's one of the first complaints that even the youngest one knows? Something is not fair. And we seem to think that saying a thing is not fair means that the whole thing should be reconsidered until it's brought to fairness by our account. But, of course, we're not the judge of fairness, are we? But we have an innate sense of fairness, and I think that comes... Innately to us, as made in the image of God, we know that there's a way that things ought to be. And when things are not fair enough, when they're so far out of whack from fair, we recognize it is our duty to act. And that's why the appeal appeal is made to us, sometimes legitimately, sometimes illegitimately, sometimes uh, uh, informed and sometimes ill-informed, sometimes maturely, sometimes immaturely. But the appeal is made to us that something isn't fair. If we understand from our youngest days innately that there are unfairness and unfair things that need to be set right, what does the holy God above know about all human interaction and look at the world we have? What was mentioned in the prayer about the condition of the world? What was mentioned in the Bible class about the condition of the the things going on currently in Afghanistan? And got to tell you, can't we just say over and over that's not fair? And that's not right. And if we recognize it, and if we think something should be done about it, and if we but had the power we would do something about it, how much more so God? A holy God, recognizing things are not right, things are not fair, things were done oppressively, and what does he have? The power and the means to set it right. Does he not? He does. But if he were to set right all the things that were done wrong, what would happen to all of us? Which of us would be condemned for doing something unfair to somebody else? You know, I like to look out in the world and see that the problems are somewhere out there in the faces of others. But if I'm honest with myself, how soon can I look into the face of the problems of this world? First thing in the morning in the mirror. I know some of y'all don't think I use one. Yes, I do. But that's where I see the face of the problems of the world, isn't it? I see it in the mirror and so do you. If we're honest about it. So we have a holy God. Who would and could. Rightly condemn us all. He sent his perfect one. His only begotten son. The perfect one into the world. But he sent him not as a judge. But as a gift. To make provision. So Romans 5.8. God demonstrates his own love toward us. In that while we were yet sinners. Christ died. For us. We need that. And here God does this out of his love. So we have the holiness of God going to be satisfied by the love of God. The holiness of God will be satisfied by what the love of God provides. And we all need that because we could so easily be condemned if it was a condemnation mission that Jesus came on first. From the Psalms, David said, The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they become useless. There's none who does good, not even one. Well, maybe David was just a pessimist. His son Solomon surely had a better opinion of, him, of us, didn't he? And then Solomon says, 1 Kings eight forty six there's no man who does not sin. Okay. Solomon didn't think any better of us than David did, because it's the inspired thought. What did the prophets say? Just one show. Dis- Give the example, Isaiah 53, 6. All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But here's the gift. But the Lord caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon him. So even in the condemnation of the old is the promise of one coming who'll take the burden of that iniquity. And it will fall on him and not on us. And we need that. Because Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the new tells us what the old did. And John tells us what Paul did. If we say we have not sinned, 1 John 1.10, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. And so, had there been a condemnation mission, if God had said, you know what, I'm just going to end this right now, we're just going to condemn the guilty and move on and try something else, there would have been nothing but guilty. Judging and condemning mankind pre-Christ, would have resulted in universal condemnation. I'll say it again. Judging and condemning us pre-Christ, and we might add to those of us now post-Christ but outside of Christ, that results in universal condemnation. Salvation is by Christ and His provision alone. Thus the apostles say in Acts 4 and verse 12, there is salvation in no one else. And there is no name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. There's only one name of salvation. That's the name of Christ. As the Hebrew writer says, even about those of old who lived in relationship with God and gained approval of God through faith, Hebrews eleven thirty nine. these having gained approval through faith did not receive what was promised because God has provided this for something better for us so apart from us, they would not be made perfect. So even the Old Testament worthies, the Old Testament faithful. Their salvation is intimately wrapped up in the life and coming of Jesus Christ. And so he came to save, not condemn. Uh, there's a hymn. Uh, we don't sing it, but I, I found out about it. and I like it. It's not in our book, but maybe we could try sometime, some way. But there's a hymn called, He Did Not Come to Judge. He did not come to judge the world. He did not come to blame. He only came to save the world. And Jesus was his name. And when we call him Savior, and when we call him Savior, and when we call him Savior, we call him by his name. So he is the wonderful Savior, predicted for us from Isaiah, wonderful counselor, mighty Savior. And so let's sing, like the psalmist says, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits, who pardons all our iniquities and heals all our diseases. So the Savior came. The Savior came that those who are in him, those who believe in him, might not be judged, but might have eternal life. Again, the Son didn't come to judge but the world through him might be saved. And then verse 18, this is how far the exemption from judgment goes. He who believes, this is verse 18, he who believes in him is not judged. He who believes in Jesus is not judged. A little bit later, John will double down on this. In verse 36, same chapter, he who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son... Will not see life and the wrath of God abides on him. There is life and there is no judgment for those in Christ. Basically, our condition, our condition as people in the world, is so perfectly clear that our relationship with Christ can absolutely tell us what our condition will be at judgment before the great white throne of God. When all mankind is brought before the great throne, there's one thing that will determine whether they are saved or whether they are condemned, whether they are judged or whether they are accepted, whether they're sentenced or whether they're brought in. And it's simply your relationship with Christ. If you are in Christ, there's no judgment. The judgment's already been made that you are with him and there you are forgiven. But if you're outside of him, if you're not faithful in him, You are lost. You'll be judged. You will be condemned. Jesus himself said in John 5, same book now, two chapters over, John 5, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in me has eternal life and does not come into judgment. So John tells us that we won't be judged. Jesus tells us That we won't be judged. And whichever Jesus or John speaking in this passage says. We won't be judged. So the Apostle Paul could conclude. In Romans 8. And chapter 1. There is therefore now. No condemnation. For those who are. In Christ. There's No condemnation. For those in Christ. There is no judgment. There is no condemnation. There will be no need of sentencing. Because they are going to be counted. As blameless. Let's look at a passage in the book of Revelation. The passage I mentioned a while ago, the great white throne. We're called before God in judgment. And it says in Revelation 20 and in verse 12, John says, I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne. So here's how it's going to be when God is going to deal with all the things that weren't fair that weren't right, that were sinful, that were oppressive, that were contrary to his holiness. When God deals with all, all the great and the small will be there standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book. So there's a great stack of books, and then there's another book. That other book is the book of life. The dead were judged from the things written in the books. So from the great stack of books are written all the things that people did. According to their deeds. All right, all of us. If we're judged by our deeds, what's the result? Don't all of us have deeds that we hope are not mentioned again? Don't we all have things that we don't want brought up? We don't want remembered. We don't want to remember them. We hope, certainly hope other people don't remember them. But they still, they nod our conscience. We know they're there. As we lie asleep at night, they'll come back to us and the dreadful things are dredged up again and sometimes we can't sleep. And we do something to try and ignore it and move on to another topic. But we all have things that we don't want brought up. We don't want remembered. And this is the great tragedy of these who are outside of Christ. All the deeds are there. Written in books of God. All the deeds. All that you don't want remembered. All that you're ashamed of. All that is wrong. There's all there. And they're going to be judged by that. And the sea, verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them. And they were judged. Every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown in the lake of fire. Which is the second death the lake of fire. And anyone's name who was not found in the book of life. He was thrown into the book of fire, into the lake of fire. And so there that other book. That other book is the hope. The book of everybody's deeds. That is not the hope. That is the condemnation of us all. Knowing what we all truly did is our death. But there's a book of life. And whose name would be first on that book of life? It is the name of Christ. And who's in that book? It's the redeemed, the pardoned the forgiven, the reconciled, the adopted, the called, the elected, the chosen, the justified, the sanctified, now the glorified, the Christians, those with Christ, whose names are in his book. And so this is how a just and a holy God can deal with our sins. Because as we read from Isaiah, he caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him, And he can let us have eternal life. And he can let us be uh, uh, passed by in judgment. He can let us not be condemned because we're in Christ and counted righteous in him. Romans 4 verse 5. But to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. God will let the righteous into heaven. But by our deeds, we're not righteous. But by our faith in Christ, we can be counted so. And so we can have our name in that book of life by faith, by belief, by the, well, we've read in verse 36 already, obeying him. Because that's what faith does. Faith acts, faith lives. But we get counted in this as righteous. And we get to have our name in the book of life. Those in the book of life go in with the Father. And those whose names are not in that book, but they're judged by what they did, by their deeds, they go to the lake of fire. And so we get counted as righteous, though we are not, though we were not, and though apart from Christ we could not be, but yet by faith we are counted. As righteous. And then in Romans 4, it quotes from Psalm 32. Let's read Psalm 32, the Psalm of David. How blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man in whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. Instead, he counts us righteous. He doesn't impute iniquity, he imputes righteousness because of faith in Christ, in whose spirit there's no deceit. Uh. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever heat of summer. Say, Law. I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. We already read from Hebrews that was done. That apart from us, they wouldn't be made perfect. That was in Christ, taking the stroke, taking the guilt for us all. In another psalm, Psalm 103, The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us, nor will he keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. But those people who get judged by the book of deeds, that's exactly what happens. Because how else would the Lord judge you but with what you've done? Unless you're in Christ, and by faith he has forgiven you and counted you as righteous. For as far as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. And so, yes, as Paul said, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ. He didn't come to condemn us. That would have been easy. He came that we might believe in him and believing have life in his name. But for those who don't believe. Back to them in verse 18. He who believes is not judged, but. Sometimes there's these really hopeful buts. Like in Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, but. Well, here's the opposite. Here's one of these terrible ones. He who believes in him is not judged. but He who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What did we read? We read from Revelation 20 that they'll be judged according to their deeds. If we are all, any of us, judged by what we've actually done the actual full transcript of our lives, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory, we'll all be condemned by a holy God. And then these people compounded that by not coming to the one who would save them. Whoever doesn't believe in the Son of God stands condemned. They stood condemned before he came, they stood condemned when he came, And when they didn't accept him, they stood condemned after he came. This world is obviously corrupt and hopelessly lost. And we're all condemned by what we've done. And our own conscience knows it. And our holy God knows it. And he's offered us a remedy. And God will deal with every sin, either by forgiving those sins in Christ or judging those sins in righteousness and holiness and pronouncing sentence on them. Every sin will be dealt with. Don't think because this grace is so easily obtained by believers and so fully obtained by believers and so wonderfully and graciously given that it's not a great thing and that sin thus becomes a minor thing, just an irritation. No, sin costs Jesus' life. But every sin has to be dealt with either by forgiveness or by punishment. And it will be dealt with in that way. For us, the great blessing is, in faith in Christ is full and complete pardon, so much so it can be said, we're not even going to be judged. Now, at this point, we have some talk about light and dark. If this is the offer, be judged by everything you've ever done or counted righteous by faith in Christ, why would you not have faith in Christ? I just do a little cost benefit analysis, and it's, like, it's obvious. Just try to deal with a guilty conscience. And you say, Look, I just want to go to sleep tonight. How do I get rid of this burden of guilt from my, from my soul? It's pretty obvious. For those who believe it is so obvious, we wonder how anybody else could miss it or refuse it. And yet, near ones and dear ones to us, Our neighbors, some of our family members, some of our descendants, some of our ancestors. Some of the people that we know and work with every day. Not maybe some, but maybe most. What do they say when this is offered to you? Why? We find in verse 19 and 20 that sin and darkness is preferred by many. This is the judgment that the light came to the world. And men love the darkness rather than the light, for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. There's so much stuff in our lives in the lives of other people that we'd like to keep hidden. We'd like to keep in the dark. And if we get out there in the light, it will be open and obvious that all will see it. And some people say, I'd rather not be judged in that way. I'd, I'd rather just keep to the dark and let it be a secret because, you know, I kind of enjoy some of that. The thing is, it will be judged. It will all be brought to the light. But we can either bring it to the light now ourselves so that God may deal with it there or we will have it brought to judgment and it will be dealt with then. And that's a really sad thing. How about those who want this sin in darkness? They'll actually get to have it in this life and the next. And they'll be in darkness. And so people prefer this. But believers, verse 21, those who believe in Christ, they come to the light. It says, but he who practices the truth comes to the light. So that his deeds may be manifested, having been brought in God. And very often the first deed that needs to be brought in God is the deed of repentance. But if folks won't repent, if they don't want to stop the things that are suitable only for the dark, then they'll never come out into the light. And so this is a common phenomenon among believers, that believers will come to the light confessing and acknowledging the darkness that was in their life, so they can leave that behind and now walk in newness of life, Romans 6, 4, following baptism. I think about this. There was a fellow, and we all we all know a bit of his story. And we all know what he thought about himself before his conversion, because we've all been singing about it for 250 years. You know, you think about people who like to hide things and let it not be known. There's a fellow who 250 years ago wrote these words, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound, this saved a wretch like me. For 250 years, we've all known that John Newton... Thought himself a wretch. And then you read the biography of John Newton. And go, man, that guy was a wretch. But John Newton's the one who told all those stories on himself because he had found Christ and he'd found light, and he wanted others to come as well. I was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. He wrote that in 1769. So for 252 years, we've all been singing about what a wretch John Newton was. But I don't think he minds, because he knew it, and he admitted it. He's the one that wrote it. Actually, when he was an old man, he was near blind, actually, uh, physically, and he could barely get around. And, uh, but he kept preaching every Sunday, and somebody asked him if he was going to retire from preaching, and this is what he said. He said, I cannot stop. What shall the old African blasphemer stop while he can still speak? 30, 40 years after his conversion, he still thought of himself and remembered that he was the one who had blasphemed so terribly and lived such a wretched life but this is the life of a believer that you bring these things to the light so that they may be dealt with in Christ i mentioned the song oh for a thousand tongues to sing on wednesday night john wesley wrote it on the anniversary of his conversion He wrote in that 18 verses of a hymn. We don't sing 18 verses anymore. We barely sing five, maybe only four, three if we need to get to lunch. But in verse 10, he said, he breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood appeals for me, availed for me. He said in the 14th verse, see all your sins on Jesus laid the Lamb of God was slain. His soul was once an offering made for every soul of man. In 15th verse, harlots and publicans and thieves in holy triumph join, saved is the sinner that believes from crimes as great as mine. Son of an Anglican priest, upper middle class upbringing. When he had his conversion, he counted himself among the harlots, the publicans and the thieves. That man had probably never done a terribly dissolute thing in his life. He'd just been kind of wandering aimlessly and going through the motions. He probably never committed anything that was ever a crime. But he recognizes morally who he's with. First, crimes as great as mine. Then he says, murderers and all ye hellish crew, ye sons of lust and pride, believe the Savior died for you. For me, the Savior died. And so this is what we as Christians have always done. This is what Paul did. We have the inspired version of this in First Timothy chapter 1. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord, who strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service, though I was formerly a blasphemer and persecutor and a violent aggressor. Yet I was shown mercy because I acted ignorantly and in an unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was more than abundant. With the faith and love that are found in Christ Jesus. And it's a trustworthy statement deserving of full acceptance. That Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners. Among whom I'm the chief. Yet for this reason I found mercy. So that in me as the foremost. Jesus Christ might demonstrate his perfect patience. As an example for those who would believe in him. For eternal life. I think about the sad kind of Christians, and I've known some of these. If you were ever to deign to ask them, brother, what sins was it that the Lord saved you from? What? 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 Oh, come on! Now we know you got some. Would you admit it? I don't. Don't go asking that to embarrass people. But some, if you'd ask them, they 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 almost they act like they'd almost be hard pressed to find any that they were so good and they have now in Christ been so good. Isn't it a great credit to the Lord that they're here? (laughs) It's a great credit to the Lord that he let any of us here. No, the the Christian comes to the light and he brings his sin with him and he says, this is what I did like those Ephesians who brought out their magic books and they burned them in the streets and here, here's our evil deeds. Here, take it. I don't want it anymore. And, And the guys who had those magic books, you think they admitted it? Oh, sure they did. Yeah, I used to practice those arts. I don't anymore. I'm a Christian. Believers come to the light. The true convert has a history, long history, in the church of confessing his sins because a full and free pardon was found for those sins in Christ alone. And we're so thankful that he's done that for us. We're so thankful that he's done so much for us that we'll tell people how much he's actually done. And we don't mind bringing that to the light so that we can move on in the deeds now of God. And so we end with this wonderful thought from the Psalms. Psalm 25, For your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity, for it is great. But the love of Jesus, the provision of Jesus is far greater still. And so we come to the light. And we come believing in his name. And so we pass from the condemnation of this world into the hope of the Father. We pass from judgment and being condemned to being accepted and redeemed. Being counted and made righteous in Christ through that great sacrifice and the offering of his blood. So what do we find in Christ? Salvation and not judgment thank you for listening to this sermon from the malvane church of christ additional sermons and information available at malvanechurch.com come see what a difference the bible way makes